Father, as we open your word and we read the words of Jesus, you're going to have to help. You're, you're going to have to speak through me, and you're going to have to open our ears and our hearts to hear. May your spirit speak. In Jesus' name, amen. You're one week in to a new year. As I like to say, on the first Sabbath of every year, you have 100% attendance. Well done, good and faithful servants. You know, making New Year's resolutions are easy, but keeping them is another story. Research says that only 9% of Americans who make resolutions actually complete them. 9%. 23% quit with the, within the first week, and 43% quit by the end of January. And the question was asked, why? And there was a study that was done by Ohio State University that came up with four suggestions, and these are not comprehensive, but they, they cover a pretty good gamut. Number one, tradition. People usually make a resolution or a goal because, well, it's a new year and you're supposed to but they're not making it out of necessity. They're not doing it because they need to do it. They're doing it because, well, it's just, it might be good. I mean, maybe you really do need to change the way that you eat or change your exercise routine or whatever, or add one, whatever the case is, but in the, in no matter, if you're just doing it because it's tradition, then it's probably not going to mean a whole lot to you and you'll drop off. The second one was obstacles. People encounter obstacles. I couldn't tell you how many times I would start some, uh, you know, new exercise routine only to get sick. And you get the flu. You get something that totally wipes you out, knocks you out, and you totally get out of the routine. And then trying to rebuild your strength to even get to the point that you want to exercise again. Obstacles pop up. Sometimes our goals are too lofty. We set massive, big, you know, things that we want to accomplish, and they're not attainable, not at least quickly, and so we get discouraged, and we walk away from him. And then last one they said was no accountability or no community to help you. And as I read these things, I started to think about a little bit, wow, I wonder if, if this is why so many of us get discouraged even in our walk of faith. Because how many of us resolute, if you will, we choose to say, all right, I'm going to get my spiritual life together, <laughs> like, like with something we can do on our own. But, but we, you know, we try to get everything together, and so all of a sudden we just hit it. And you know what? We get discouraged because oftentimes we have always gone the line of traditions. Well, this is what I've always done, or this is what I'm always supposed to do. And sometimes those traditions don't make a whole lot of sense, and sometimes we try to follow in line with those traditions, and we don't get it, and so we become discouraged. What about the difficult obstacles that we face? I don't know of anyone that hasn't chosen to follow Jesus, and then the enemy comes and slaps him upside the head with something else. Like, it's one of those things that when, when you are determined to follow what Christ has put in front of you, oftentimes what, ends up can ha what, what happens is that something happens in your life that's discouraging. 
And so then you, you, you get discouraged and say, well, I don't know if this is worth it. Sometimes we have really lofty goals in spirituality. I'm going to read, many of you can read the whole Bible in a year. Some of you start out and you get to about, you know, Numbers and Leviticus and you go, oh, and, and something inside of you just, maybe I should skip this or whatever the case is and you don't quite hit it or maybe the, the loftiness goal of I am never going to sin ever again. <laughs> People have made those, that, that, that comment and so when you get into loftiness and the, and the idea of these big, huge, massive things, it can be discouraging when you do mess up. And the last one, what about not walking in faith with a community when you're trying to do it all by yourself, when you think you're all alone, when in reality we're all in this boat together, are we not? And, and, the, and, and even though we're all in different walks of life, we're all in different phases and we're all in different places, the reality is, is we need each other to be able to walk together. Sticking with something is not always easy. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he tells us in these next few scriptures some difficult decisions that you and I are going to have to make. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. As we continue in our series, The Sermon on the Mount, Last week, talking about that golden rule. Everything stems from that. It says, this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus, I'm tell- if you go back from the very beginning, you'd have to go all the way back to last year when we started this, back in January, in Matthew chapter 5. When you go back and you look through the Beatitudes and you look at Jesus calling us to be light and salt, when he tells us that he is righteousness and that he is the fulfillment, when he tells us to not stay angry and not to hold resentment towards someone, when he tells us not to lust but instead focus our hearts and our minds on Christ, when he tells us to be faithful, when he tells us to be honest, when he tells us that we're going to encounter persecution but not to retaliate, when he tells us to love our enemies, when he tells us to when we give that we don't do it in a way that everyone else can see. We're simply giving to someone because they need it and we don't need recognition. When we pray, we don't pray so others can hear us. We pray to our God. When we fast, we don't fast so everyone will know that we're fasting. We do it as a spiritual discipline because it's between us and our God. That we lay up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. That we would not be anxious about anything. That we would trust Jesus with everything, that we would not be judgy and critical towards one another, that we would ask and we would seek and we would find and we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then he tells us that whatever you wish to be done to you, you should do that. And here we have all these different things that Jesus has placed out there and he says, okay, it's decision time. It's decision time. All these things have been nice. They've been great theories. They've been things that we've talked about. We understand all these things, but now Jesus says, you now need to make a choice. Which one are you going to follow? Are you going to keep living the way that you've always left? Are you going to keep going the traditional route? Are you going to keep going the way of the scribes and the Pharisees? Are you going to keep going the way of what the religion tells you to do? Or are you going to go the way that I have called you? Are you going to walk in the way of the world or are you going to walk in the way? And as these 
decision-making points come to, to a head, he has four warnings as he closes this out. He says that there are going to be two gates with two roads. He says that there are going to be two kinds of prophets. He says that there's going to be two kinds of disciples. And he says that there are two foundations. And so in these next four parts, we're going to see which side, which one do you and I choose? So let's study the first one. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Some, some versions may say, enter by the straight gate. And not to, not to the, well, that word is not straight as in no turns, that's narrow. So we're a narrow gate with a narrow road. And then it tells us that there's a wide gate and a wide road. One is difficult, one is easy. It's interesting when you look at some of the earliest manuscripts, I mean, you have to go way, way back, only one gate is mentioned, which I thought was interesting. And, and if, if you look at it that way, uh, it, it can change a little bit, but it doesn't change drastically. But the idea of that there's one gate, the one gate is the narrow one, and the other one's just a path. And oftentimes, many walk on this path, and they don't even know they've entered a gate. They're just going along with every, everything else. There's no thought that has been given to anything. They just do what they've been taught. They do what's around them, and they just go. And so there could be a point that is made of many of us could be walking down a path of destruction. We don't even know it. We didn't choose to enter that gate. We're just on it. And so I thought that was interesting. But, but either way, there's still two different roads, are there not? And Jesus says that one is narrow and difficult and hard to find, and one is wide and easy, and it's easy to find. I don't know about you, but when I read this, there, there was a part of me that just kind of cringed a little bit. Because I, I, there was this idea that came to my mind that when I read it, I go, so it's a difficult road to get to Jesus? That was the first thing that came to my mind. Like, I've got to work my way up this narrow road to enter into the gate? I can't do that. <laughs> not, not on my own. And so that was, that was my immediate thought. Maybe that was something that I had heard growing up. Maybe something that I just read it, and that's the way that I thought it. Go, man, if, the, if I'm going to enter into the, to the gate of heaven, the narrow one, and I've got some hard work to do. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about roads and gates, shall we? Oftentimes when we look at gates and roads, they're, they're flat and they're big, right? Gates, you drive cars through gates, right? And, and, and roads, we drive cars on roads. But back then, that's not the case. These are not wide, big roads. These are, these are narrow roads. There may be wider roads when you're, when you're going from town to town, but once you get to a hill or a mountain or whatever the city is on, they were usually leveled up. And, and as they were, they were brought up, they either built on top or they, you know, as, as 
really what ended up happening, I learned this in archaeology, is that as, as when, when a city was destroyed, oftentimes just another city was built on top of that and then on top of that. So you have all these layers, and that's what archaeologists do. They go down and they look at the pottery and when it was and all these different things. I'll just share with you sometimes some, some of the things that were in that once we're, our, this series is done. But, but ultimately, it just kind of got higher and higher as time gone on. And so uh, there are those elements, but there are also actual hills and mountains that they would, that they would build on. And so the little road was a narrow, very dangerous road going up to the top because at the top, where the city was, there was a city gate. And they would close that gate at night for safety, of course. And so you can imagine, if you're a traveler and you don't have a 4,000 lumen flashlight, that you, you're hurrying, like you're moving. They're, they're, in, in other words, if you know that, you're, that the sun is setting and the day is coming to its close and you need to get up there, you know that you cannot be distracted from anything to get on the road, get on the path, and go, and to stay focused on what path that you're on. Because if you, if you misstep, you could fall to your death. If you, if you got distracted and you stopped and you were looking at flowers or whatever, then you could get to a point where the sun sets, it's too dark, and you can't see your next step. Or the gate could be shut and you really didn't want to be out after dark, outside of a city, because of where darkness was, that's where crime seemed, seemed to show up. The dangers would be too great. So what was the goal? Get to the gate. Don't let anything distract you. Now back to this idea of this narrow way. Jesus is not talking about finding life in him in this, in this verse. He's already talked about, if you seek me, you're going to find me, right? You're ask, seek, knock. He has made it abundantly clear that he is with his disciples. He has made it abundantly clear that if, if we believe in him, and we ask him that we have him, that we are a new creation and we are set free from the power of sin. We are made new. So in that, Jesus isn't talking about finding salvation and going through this narrow path all the way to the top and get it. What Jesus is talking about is living a life that he's called us to live. In other words, walking out your faith to walk out your faith. Jesus is, he's told us already the way in which he's calling his disciples to live. And now, this is part of that decision. How do we live out our faith? How do we walk this thing out? All the ways Jesus is calling us to live in a world that lives contrary to his values and, and, and to his principles. It's, it's difficult when we live in a world that's counter Christian, counter Christ. But it's always been difficult. This isn't anything new. From the very beginning, it's been difficult. And I think about individuals like Noah, 
when God told him to build the ark. And for 120 years, he is ridiculed and made fun of while he's building a boat for something called water that is going to flood the earth. It just didn't make sense. That road that he walked was not an easy road because the whole culture was against him. What about Abraham? From the, he's part of the Chaldeans. He grew up in a Chaldean country. Here, here he is now choosing to follow God and he doesn't even know where he's going. And all the, the, the promise that he did, but then you've got to think about that even in, in his, his moment with Isaac and how difficult of a road that was and to trust God all the way through it. Joseph, who had these dreams that he would become great only to be thrown into a pit, a cistern, and there to die, but then taken out and be sold into slavery. And then he, he prospers there, but then he gets accused of trying to take Potiphar's wife, and then he's thrown into prison. And now again, he wonders, is this this really what I'm supposed to do? He encountered obstacle after obstacle. He He was a Hebrew living in an Egyptian culture. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been? And yet he chose to stay faithful to his God all the way through it. Moses, Another Hebrew living in Egypt, trying to save it, messed it all up, has to go away, but then he's called back, and the road that he was on, 10 plagues, leading children out of Israel, going through the Red Sea. I mean, think of all the things that he saw. Think of all the things that he experienced, and yet there were times even in his life on that road, he said, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. Joshua to take his place, to take the place of Moses and to lead the people into Canaan. I'm telling you, it has always been difficult to follow the path that God lays out for us. You in your own life know that there have been decisions that you've had to make. And when you're faced with a decision, which way do I go? Do I choose the easy way or do I choose the difficult way? Do I choose the way that God has called me to live? Now, out of all those stories, man, I could break down each one. We could have just a blast going through the patriarchs of the the early movement of God and and his promises. But there's one story in particular that always sticks out in my mind of a group of three who chose the hard road. Open, well, you already opened your Bibles, hopefully, but turn with me back to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 2, if you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and the dream was this big image that were made up of four different metals. Well, and mixed with some iron and clay and all that. But each of those metals, we learn from the prophecy there that they represented different kingdoms. And so King Nebuchadnezzar at the top had this head of gold, learning that he was not going to always last forever in his kingdom. At the end of Daniel 2, you see him bowing down to Daniel and saying, great is your God. This is amazing. This is incredible. You answered my dream. 
And then Daniel 3, we have him doing Nebuchadnezzar things all over again. Nebuchadnezzar builds an image, probably like the one that was in his dream, but this time they are not made up of all different metals. They are made up of one, and they are, and that is gold. It seems as though Nebuchadnezzar wants to rewrite the future, <laughs> and so he begins to, to erect this giant statue of himself in gold in the plain of Dura. Why? Most likely this was a political move. I don't know if word got out about this dream and that his kingdom was going to fall and his kingdom was shaky. People believe that there was some major rebellion within the kingdom as well as uh, adversaries outside of the kingdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar was coming across as a little weak. (laughs) And so he's trying to strengthen his cause and strengthen his kingdom and strengthen the loyalty in, in who he is and what he represents. This is why he's invited, not just the people in his kingdom, but those outside, all the governors and all the treasurers and all the justices. You get the idea. This was a, this was a power move for King Nebuchadnezzar. So the deal was that when the music played, everyone would bow down to this image, but they wouldn't just bow down to the image. They were called to worship this image, this statue that represented him, represented his kingdom. And the penalty, if you did not, was what? Death, death by fire. I feel like fire and drowning would be two of the worst ways and to go. And so you can imagine that the fear of being burned to death is, is a great one. So King Nebuchadnezzar says to bow down, okay, I'm gonna, I'll bow down. That, you know, what's, what's the big deal, right? There may be some that don't even want to honor King Nebuchadnezzar, but even, even those that are not Jews, but yet they do it because they fear the penalty of death. But then you have other Jews that are in this scenario, and they aren't mentioned. Now, we don't know, we don't know. We do know that these three guys were higher-ups, and so maybe there was just an attack against them because they're considered the leaders, some of the leaders in the kingdom, and so you've got some Chaldeans who don't like it. So let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 8. Daniel 3 and verse 8. Therefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar is in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had chosen the narrow gate. And they are on the narrow road. And the road is difficult. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, giving them another opportunity. Here they are, standing in front of the king the one who holds all power. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. Few will take this way. When you choose the way of Jesus, the road won't always be easy. I wish I could tell you different. But when I read stories like this, it just proves otherwise. What Daniel had to go through from Daniel 1, Daniel 2, Daniel 3, Daniel 5, Daniel 8, I mean, poor Daniel. (laughs) To follow that road from the beginning of his life to the end. Look at what he encountered but also look at what he gained. You will be criticized. You will be mocked. You will be persecuted. You will encounter trials. You will. Jesus says that we will. And I think he's telling us the easy way is trying to avoid all those things, to compromise, to take another direction, Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Surely you've got a sandal you could tie during the music. Surely you could just fake it until this all ends. But look at what these three men do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of of an answer to give you concerning the matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. (sighs) Love that. What, What was the question that Nebuchadnezzar asked him? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they respond, our God is able to deliver us out of your hands. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Our God. I want you to recognize something for a moment. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throughout the story of Daniel, the history, the, the history stories and the prophetic stories, all this, this part in Daniel they are in God. 
They follow Yahweh. They are his children. We would look at it today after Christ, what he has done, we would say they are in Christ. We are in Christ. We serve a God who's able. We follow a God who can do it, who can make a way when there's no way, who can take us over the mountains, who can get us through the darkness. We serve that kind of God. And we are his children. We are his. We are free because of what Jesus has done for us. This is not a test of their salvation. They already are saved under God, who, what he's done. They are now in the, the trenches of the road. In other words, what we could say is, will you keep trusting the Lord to save you? Will you keep trusting him to save you? Wouldn't that be a question for us every day? Because Jesus has already done it. The thing that we look at then is whatever road we choose is, do I choose to trust that Jesus is still saving me? That he will still bring me out of the darkness? That he will break through the obstacles? That he will take down my giants? We serve a God who is able, who can do it. But here's where faith really comes in. Because these are their next words. But even if he doesn't, you talk about faith, my friends. You talk about trust. In their mind, they know that God in his infinite wisdom is going to do what is best. And even if he doesn't deliver them out of the fiery furnace, even if he doesn't deliver them from the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. There may be times in your life, situations where the road seems impossible, where you have to make a decision, a choice. Jesus is saying there's two roads. There may be times in your life where you may have to stop and you may have to think about it and you have to go, I know my God is able to carry me through. But even if he doesn't, I choose to stay on the road. I choose to stay on the road. I choose to trust that he will continue to save me. This world may take my body today, but I know there's more to the story. Our God is able. But even if he doesn't, we will still remain faithful to our God. Isn't that the road? Nebuchadnezzar was furious. 
He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. They're bound and they're thrown into the furnace. The furnace was so hot, the guards who threw them in were killed. You can imagine the tense silence in the room or wherever they are. I don't know how this thing was set up. I wish I could see how this fiery furnace was set up. You know, tossing them into it or down like down below or we shoveling them in like coal. I don't know. But either way, you can imagine that it's quiet. There's, there's no screams that are coming out of the fire. And the people, the, the, the officers that threw them in, they're dead. So you can imagine everybody else is going, oh, goodness. And Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there waiting. And he's probably fuming. You can just imagine. Have you ever done that? Where you, you, you act out in anger and you just kind of sit there and you're, you know, you're just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And I can imagine that he's sitting there and he's fuming, he's waiting, and the silence is palpable. You can feel it. Awkward. What's going to happen? And then you hear this. Hey, I thought we put three guys in there. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees that something's off. And they said, it's true, king, that we did put three in there. And he answered and said, but I see four. And these four are now unbound. And they're walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth. Now it may read different in different parts. Some will say, looks like the son of God. Some would say that he looks like a son of the gods. Different ways such such as that. I think Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was something special about this fourth. So special. Maybe he didn't know what the Son of God looks like, but he knew. He knew that that one was the reason that those three were still alive. Here's the part that we need to remember, my friends. As you walk this narrow road, you are not walking it alone. You're not walking it alone. I love what the book Thoughts Amount of Blessing has to say. It says, though the path is so narrow, so holy that sin cannot be tolerated therein, yet access has been secured for all. And not one doubting, trembling soul need say, God cares not for me. That the path, did you catch that? That is so holy, the path that sin cannot be upon, she tells us, which I think is based on what Paul is saying as well, that access has been secured for everyone. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I get to walk on this path. And we cannot walk this path by ourselves. The road may be rough. The ascent steep. 
There may be pitfalls upon the right hand and upon the left hand. We may have to endure toil in our journey. When weary, when longing for rest, we may have to toil on. When faint, we may have to fight. When discouraged, we must still hope. But with Christ as our guide, we shall not fail of reaching the desired haven at last. Christ himself has trodden the rough way before us and has smoothed the path for our feet. Jesus has done it for you and for me. We walk this path with him. We don't choose the narrow gate and walk the narrow path to get to Jesus. We walk it with Jesus. Walking the narrow path is simply walking out your faith. It's taking another step with Jesus. Even when it gets steep, even when it gets difficult, even when it seems impossible, take another step. And then another step. And then another step. But my friends, this doesn't mean that the wide way is always easy either. It may be easy to find, but it's not an easy way to go. Why? Amen is right. All along the road that leads to death, there are pains and penalties. There are sorrows and disappointments. There are warnings to not go on. On this path. God's love has made it hard for the heedless and headstrong to destroy themselves. I love that. That God has made it hard for us to destroy ourselves. He puts in these, these areas, that if we're walking on the wide path, maybe we don't even know it, and we're thinking, why is this so hard? I must be on the right path. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe God's trying to get our attention. Maybe he's putting something in the road to say, hey, wake up. I need you. I want to use you for my kingdom. But I want you to be there. And it starts with me entering into your heart. Let me pick you up and place you on the path of righteousness. Do you remember? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's guiding us on the path. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. And certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. So Jesus says, choose. There are two paths. There's one path that leads to life, and there's one that leads to death. One is poor in spirit. One is meek. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's merciful. It's being pure in heart. These are the peacemakers. This path is faithful, honest, full of integrity and loving and merciful. The other path is critical. It's dishonest. 
It's selfish. It's prideful. One is easy to find, but only one leads to life because Jesus is life, and he will lead you on his path of righteousness. That's it. That's all I got. Jesus calls us to walk on the path that he lays before us. Take another step, and then another step, and then another. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you promise that we are not alone as we walk this path. We recognize We recognize what it is that you're calling us to. And we know that this is not easy. But you are so good. And that you are with us. And that you are going to guide us. And in the darkness, you'll be our light. And in the heat, you will be our shelter. Everywhere we place our foot, you have gone before us. Just as you promised Joshua. And your word says that you are with us always to the end of the earth. Yes, the road may not be easy. But with you, we will make it. And even if it's not on this earth, it will be in the next. So may we trust you more. May you put a firm foundation under us. And may we walk the path laid before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you today. Go and walk the path laid before you because it's only in the power of Jesus that you can do so.